When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk Radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Delighted to welcome my next guest to the show, Cabinet Office Minister Michael Gove. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, Michael. Can you hear me? I think. Hi, good morning. Hello, to you. good morning yes. to you. I know you've just escaped the clutches of Piers Morgan, so uh, out of the frying pan into the fire, I fear for you. Um, but on different, on very different grounds. Um, can you tell me where in the forty-eight page um, assessment that was published by the government uh, yesterday afternoon, in terms of the the basic the wider impacts on health mm. and in the economy, there provided any justification for the tier restrictions that are going to start tomorrow? Um, well, the document I think was very clear. Firstly. Uh, it, it has been the case that the tier restrictions that we had before November were not enough in order to be able to ensure that the R rate, the infection rate, was brought down. Uh, the lockdown measures that we have in place have brought that infection rate down. Um, under the new tier three, we can be confident that infection rates will be reduced. Tier two is a way of effectively stabilising and in some circumstances reducing infection. Tier one, not effective in reducing infections, but appropriate where infection rates are low. And overall, unless you bring the infection rate below one, then the number of infections will double over time. And that will lead to the overwhelming of the NHS. OK, um, you, you wrote an article in The Times, a very lengthy article about uh, uh, how the lockdown had been the only way to stop the NHS being broken. Um, there is no evidence that uh, infections were you know, doubling at the time that the lockdown was brought in. Uh, no evidence that the NHS was about to be overwhelmed. Still isn't any evidence, uh, even in terms of tier restrictions, you're saying not being enough. Actually, infection rates were falling in, in even in the tier three places like the hotspots like Liverpool. Um, why do you base government policy on evidence which is not available, it would appear, to anyone who's looking at it, whether a member of the public or indeed the scientists looking at it from externally, given that it's not based on publicly available data? Uh, yes, it is. The, the ONS figures show that the uh, R rate was above one in every part of the no, it, United it, it Kingdom. It did not show that infections were, were, were doubling and it did not show that the NHS was about to overwhelm. No public or private documents that I've seen since have suggested any of that was the case, but that was used to justify the lockdown and you've justified the restrictions saying that the lockdown had brought it down and we need to carry this on. But, but there's never been any data that's actually been produced, not a model, but actual data of what's happening now on the ground on the day you make those decisions that, that justifies any of those moves? 
Um, again, I'd refer you to the UNS figures that showed that the infection rate was doubling on average every 15 days in the six weeks up to the announcement of the November measures on the 31st of October. It was going, it was going, it was going up at a slower rate in large parts of the country. It was actually going down. It, it was going, it, the R rate was above one in every region of the country. Mm-hmm. And of course, if the R rate is above one, sooner or later, the infection rate will double. The higher it is above uh, uh, one, uh, the faster it's doubling. Um, and of course, if the infection rate doubles, so the number of hospitalizations inevitably increase, um, with uh, hospital capacity at the moment around 88%, uh, there is some spare capacity in the system. But obviously, uh, if you increase the number of uh, COVID patients, then that means that other patients uh, uh, aren't being treated. And that means that health outcomes are worse. Okay, but it's it's not at a particularly uh, unusual level of capacity at the moment that it is from any other year, and you know that as well as I do. The Times today have produced a... Well, it it, it would be... It it, it is... uh, The NHS faces significant pressure. You're right. Does every year. In December, and particularly in January and in February... But what would overwhelm it would be the uh, uh, existence of a significant number of additional COVID cases. And it is the case that other countries from Sweden to France to Canada have taken similar measures in order to ensure that their health services aren't overwhelmed and their economies aren't damaged. Michael, we didn't elect the government of Sweden or France. I thought one of the reasons why we voted for Brexit, which a campaign you were very strong on, was to take back control. We get to decide our own policies, don't we? We don't have to do what other countries do. The Times front page today... Uh, But we can learn from them. I think one of the reasons for taking back control is, of course, being accountable. Um, but it, uh, the, the question that um, uh, inevitably will be asked is um, what, uh, which country uh, has an alternative model to the one that uh, so many Western countries have chosen, um, which people think would be, would be better? And of course, we can always refine the measures that we have. But the question is, what is your alternative? And, and, and I haven't seen a coherent one yet. I think Sweden has provided a clear one in terms of the lack of liberty taken away. But there we are. The Times today has produced a secret dossier. In Sweden, uh, uh, Julia, uh, there are restrictions. There are very few restrictions. They're largely voluntary. Hmm? Uh, No, they're not. There are are criminal sanctions. There are criminal sanctions for people who break those uh, restrictions. Um, And it's also the case that Sweden has uh, uh, a rising hospitalisation, rising death rate, which is why... Other restrictions. The, the death rate is made. a fraction of ours per capita at the current time. Uh, it's increasing at the moment. It's which a is fraction of ours per capita. Yes, yes. Uh, with all due respect, it's it's December. In fact, respiratory illnesses tend to go up in December. They do every single year. But let, can I get on to something else? The but death rates are going up in Sweden. Death rates are going. Yes. Can you do, do you want to tell me what the death rate? Is, what the number of people who are dying in Sweden right now is? It's increasing rapidly, it's increasing and rapidly. that's why they've got measures. It's at tiny, tiny, tiny levels. But anyway, let's... Uh, let's... It's significantly greater than all its neighbours, significantly greater there, than you, Norway. I'm not, I'm not going to get sidelined on this. There are lots of different reasons for that, and you will, you, you will know those as well as I do. I want to talk about the Times front page today. Secret dossier on COVID damage. Um, yesterday, oh. we had this uh, impact assessment at 48 pages, which contained the most extraordinary uh, line I think I've ever read in supposedly a detailed uh, assessment of, of what the economic impacts of, of COVID measures would be. It says, any attempt to estimate specific economic impacts of precise changes to individual restrictions for a defined period of time would be subject to such wide uncertainty as to not be meaningful for precise policy making. 
Yet the government has used very imprecise and very uncertain uh, sage modelling for the virus's impact. Modelling that, by the way, has been proven to be um, wrong again and again and again by a huge factor. And yet the Times today have got a secret dossier that the government has drawn up showing huge economic impact. Which is it? Has the government drawn up an economic impact assessment or hasn't it? Uh, there are three things I'd say there. Uh, the first is that uh, if we look at the uh, the modelling of the growth of the infection, um, that modelling has been pretty robust. On the second point, again, about uh, the... Yes, um, and the second point, um, I'm, I'm, I was just talking about the ONS figures earlier, which showed the rates of doubling um, and which were in line with um, uh, SPIM and other models from which uh, scientists have had high confidence. Again, you didn't seem to have those ONS figures to hand. That's fair enough. Um, on the second point about uh, the economic impact, we know, everybody knows, the OBR reminded us of the dreadful uh, economic impact of the pandemic, but it's the pandemic that's generating the economic impact. On the third thing, I think it is the case that the, the document which you refer, which I haven't read myself, uh, is based on publicly available uh, uh, information from the ONS um, and other sources of statistics. Okay. Uh, by the way, I do have those ONS figures to hand because it was 51,900 new infections between the 17th and the 23rd of October. It had fallen to 45,700 by the 25th to the 31st of October. 51,900 is, is a higher number than 45,700. It's definitely not a double that number, is it? Well, the rates were doubling. The rates uh, were doubling, but, but uh, you said I didn't have... I do have those figures to hand. You were quoting the ONS figures... The ONS figures show they were falling, not doubling. Uh, They were doubling on average in every 15 days in the six weeks up to the announcement of the November measures on the 31st of October. I'll have to agree to disagree. I'm I'm just quoting the official NOS figures. I do apologise for that. Uh, Can I ask you about Nadeem Zahari? No, I I didn't make any apology for that. Nadeem Zahari is the vaccine minister, um, looking at the rollout. He's talked about how the vaccine won't be mandatory, won't be required. You're not going to be actually holding people down and forcing them to have the vaccine. I mean, that's something to be grateful for, I suppose. But that there may well be businesses, I mean, there's airlines or, 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 or pubs or, or cinemas that say, basically, you can't come in unless you have got proof you've had a vaccine. Is that going to happen? No, that's not the plan. Our plan is to make sure that we distribute the vaccine uh, to all those who need it. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that, first of all, those people who are uh, vulnerable, uh, those who are older, those who are in care homes get vaccinated. And then also the frontline NHS and social care staff upon whom we depend, and then we want to spread the vaccine more widely thereafter. Okay, and what is the timetable for that? Because I can understand we haven't got a vaccine, not one of these yet has been approved by the yeah. regulators. And the moment it is approved, we know we've told we've already bought a lot of these uh, supplies, yeah. we've got millions already. I mean, again, all credit to the government on that, buying all these vaccines in advance, getting them manufactured, so when they're approved, we can roll them out. That is one of the big ticks, well done. You get that from me. I'll give you credit when you get it right. However, I want to know Thank what you. the... Te- <laughs> You're welcome. I want to know what the actual timetable is because please God tell me that the government has got a very clear outline and timetable for when these are going to be rolled out. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's subject, of course, to clearance by the the regulator. Um, But provided we get that clearance, and of course the whole world is waiting for that clearance, um, then the first vaccinations should take place this month and then we will increase the numbers um, in the new year. By what date will everybody who is vulnerable or elderly have the vaccine? And by what date will everyone be able to have the vaccine? Because this is this is, this is is the stuff that government yeah. is paid to do, to plan oh, and organise. So can you give me two... That, OK, so if, I mean, on any given day, let's say on the 1st of January, we get one of these mm. vaccines approved, 
what date from the 1st of January will we have access to everybody who's elderly or vulnerable and everyone else to get that vaccine? Uh, well, the, the, the first thing is that uh, we're going to have, um, uh, provided they're approved by the regulator, millions of vaccines available in December. Um, and so we will start that I was being that generous. Program. I was saying first. first what, no, no, sure. What um, I, I hope we'll get it by then. Um, but uh, it, it will be the case that we will progressively increase the number of people who are vaccinated um, through uh, January to April. Um, and I would hope that uh, by April or May, um, that we would have universal coverage. But of course, what we're working on now is making sure that we can have that distribution mechanism working with the NHS in order to ensure that everyone who well, needs a vaccine gets it. OK, you're saying by April or May. Originally, it was by Easter uh, and, and then it's April or May. I've heard ministers say we wouldn't have even all the most vulnerable vaccinated mm. by that time. It seems to change depending on which minister I speak to. Um, but there must be surely a clear rollout plan. You, you knew these vaccines were on the way. You know you've got you know the mm. army ready to, to deploy on this. Surely you can actually do the logistics. How many sites do we need? How many people do we need? How many people can we push through in any given day? Yes. It's in a stadium? So you must have an actual date, not a hope, a date. Well, the, the date depends on both the clearance for those vaccines and also the nature of the vaccine. So to take the uh, uh, Pfizer vaccine, uh, there are 46 mass vaccination centres that we've identified. One of the reasons why mass vaccination centres are favoured is because of the cold chain storage pressures yep. uh, that mean that uh, uh, when you're dealing with that vaccine, it needs to be stored for most of its life um, at a particularly low temperature. You can distribute it outside uh, those mass vaccination centres, but there is a limited time period during which you can visit those in care homes and others. Of course, if the, uh, the Oxford vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, receives its clearance, then it can be distributed uh, uh, both at lower cost and in a faster way. But what we can't do is anticipate exactly when both are uh, going to come into play. So that's why we've okay. got um, a system both of cold chain distribution for Pfizer, the 46 vaccine centres that I mentioned, um, and also uh, uh, NHS General Hospital being used in order to vaccinate their own staff and others. I know I've got to let you go, but I mean, we've got you a little bit late because Piers Morgan is, does that to us. Just finally, I want to ask you, tier restrictions come into force tomorrow. Very likely, of course, it's the, the vote is going to go through even without uh, the Labour voting for it and lots of rebels not voting for it. But can you explain to me, I mean, because I'm, I'm really struggling with why it's OK and safe for me to go to a pub and have a drink with a meal, whether it's a scotch egg or a full fish and chips or whatever, mm. um, and that will make me safe. But if I have a drink, without a meal in Tiju, uh, then that will make me at risk. But I can drink at a cinema or a football stadium or a theatre when those are reopened without a meal. Can you explain to me how the virus knows whether I'm standing up, sitting down, or whether or not I've got a meal next to my drink? It's about mingling and reducing that. So uh, uh, in other countries, uh, which have also got similar restrictions, table service is a means of reducing the risk. So, What's that uh, got to do with meals? Um, well, if you're sat at the table uh, mm -hmm. eating the meal... No, but um, what, what's the meal got to do with it? Have you been to a pub since they reopened on the 4th of July, Michael? Uh, yes, have. Have you been to a pub where you've been allowed to stand or go to the bar? Uh, I saw several people standing and indeed going to the bar where? in the pub that I was in. Um, uh, uh, I was myself House sitting of down... No. Um, uh, it was... Actually, I probably shouldn't name the pub because I didn't want to advertise it, but it was a pub... Um, in West Kensington, where I went with my son and others in order to have a substantial meal 
um, and to watch Chelsea. But, but, but it's, your people are only allowed to be served in the pubs uh, in, uh, at, at the table. So why does the virus know that you're having a drink at the table or that you're having a drink and a lasagna at the table? How does the pub know? How does, how does the virus know? Uh, because uh, we know that table service, um, driven by the need to serve meals and to serve people at the table, is safer. It's a requirement um, and, in law uh, that you're served at the table. That's a requirement right now in pubs that yes. are open. So what's it got to do yes, with exactly. the meal? Um, it means that it is easier to ensure that we're policing table service appropriately. We're, we're going to basically close down hundreds of thousands of businesses for that, and that's the answer. Um, it is the case that the pandemic, as you quite rightly point out, causes uh, economic damage. But the question always The pandemic is, doesn't cause economic damage, Michael. Uh, Lockdown uh, policy I, does. Well, uh, what would be the alternative to... Uh, restrictions on the spread of the virus. Unless we have restrictions on the spread of the virus, uh, then uh, the number of people who will uh, become infected and go into hospital will overwhelm the NHS and that will cause real long-term economic damage. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, talk radio. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Dio. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Okay, well, let's talk to Andrew Bridgen now. He's Conservative MP for North West Leicestershire. Um, I believe you're, you're in Tier 3, are you not, Andrew? Even though an awful lot of your constituency is actually a rural area to, to, to the northwest of of Leicester. Um, do you know how you're going to vote today? Yes. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to be voting against the government today. Um, my major concern is not the fact that we're in Tier 3, although we entered the lockdown, the latest lockdown in Tier 1. Uh, is the fact that we're geographically linked with Leicester, which, given their track record throughout the pandemic, uh, the Labour administration in Leicester, they were the first local lockdown. Uh, they've had millions of pounds of government support through Public Health England, the NHS, to suppress the virus, but uh, they've failed to do so. The uh, The city mayor has been 
exposed repeatedly breaking the lockdown himself and treats it as insignificant. And what my constituents know is that while we're linked to Leicester, it really doesn't matter what we do to suppress the virus in northwest Leicestershire. We're not coming out of tier three. Uh, and it's like being locked in a burning building for them. And that's not fair. So I can't vote for um, a Labour administration, an inept Labour administration in Leicester, uh, who's already destroyed thousands of hospitality businesses in the city and pe affected people's lives. I can't accept for them to be inflicting that on my constituents. Um, so I asked for a decoupling of northwest Leicestershire from uh, but I didn't get that assurance unfortunately. Um, I'm sure you know the, the the good people of northwest Leicestershire will be pleased to know that you're not trying to as you say carry on one of them being locked in a burning building but it seems to me an awful lot of the Tory MPs who are now opposed to these measures and indeed a lot of the Labour MPs who've been speaking out about it um, are only concerned because they think that their constituents are in the wrong tier. They didn't seem to be that bothered when other people's constituents were in the wrong tier or when everyone was in a lockdown and, well, it was all unfair together. There seems to be a little bit of sort of confusion about, you know, whether or not, you know, is, is this a philosophical issue about, about people's right to liberty, to, to, you know, to their livelihoods? Is this, a, is this about the fact that you don't believe that these sort of measures will actually save lives and will, and will, will do a lot of damage far greater than the lives they will, will, will save? Or, or, or is this just about, you know, wanting to make sure that you don't, have angry constituents in 2024 at the next general election? And my majority is 20,400 has gone up at every election since 2010 when I took the seat from Labour. Um, you reckon no. you'll be safe? <laughs> um, well, that's up to, up to the people of North West Leicestershire. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, our figures in North West Leicestershire are, are, uh, are 320. That is twice as high as they were when we entered the lockdown period uh, the, the second lockdown. Uh, that is the fact that we were, we've got no herd immunity in Northwest Leicester. We've kept the virus out, um, but we were surrounded by areas with higher uh, incidence of the virus. I accept that at the moment we need to be in tier three, but even by the time we go into tier three, uh, if uh, the, the the bill passes the tomorrow uh, to, tonight, um, by the time we go into tier three, we're probably well down from those figures, the, the figures are dropping. But the fact is that there's no there's no prospect of ever getting out of tier three while we're linked to uh, uh, Leicester. They've, they've failed for 10 months to get themselves under control. And what I do worry is that once people um, think, well, it doesn't matter what we do, we're still going to be stuck in the highest tier, then the discipline goes and people start uh, breaking the rules on the basis it doesn't matter. And that would be appalling situation, having come all this way and not ca carrying the people well, with us. And well, that's people it. Are there is a there is now a, a lack of trust because of course uh, the, we can see the evidence that the government says doesn't exist for why these measures don't work why they're often unfair why they're arbitrary why they're silly I mean you know the the, the table meal rule in pubs in, in tier uh, in tier two and others I mean these things are. They're patently ridiculous. Some of these, the fact that you can you can have a drink without a meal at the cinema or the theatre or a sports ground, but you can't buy a drink without a table meal in a pub. I mean, I mean, this stuff. Does a scotch egg or a bowl of pasta or whatever it is count? I mean, this stuff is so patently ridiculous. It's hard for anyone to take the government's measures seriously now because they clearly haven't got a clue what they're doing, have they? 
I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that that's that's correct. I think they've made some sensible decisions. Which on, ones? Uh, well, the. Um, the, I mean, the, I mean, I'm I mean, I'm all ears. Well, Which the ones? <laughs> the, ten, the ten p.m. curfew. Uh, was no evidence for that. Was ridiculous, and so relaxing that to drinking up time, allowing people to drift off uh, over the next hour uh, and not overload public transport. That's a very oh, wait a minute. So measure. having a ridiculous rule for which there's no medical evidence, but making it slightly less ridiculous by allowing people to drink up for now, that makes it okay. Wouldn't it not be better just to not have the ridiculous rule in the first place? Well, they won't, well, they won't, be, they won't be doing that in my state because, unfortunately, um, I'll be returning there tomorrow after the vote tonight and uh, we're in tier three. So our hospitality industries are not are not open. Well, what I'm not going to allow is that my hospitality industries are, are beholden to poor decisions made by a Labour administration in Leicester that they didn't vote for and don't support, and there's no prospect of us ever getting out of the burning building. And people have to have hope, Julia, and this takes away well, hope for my constituents. Well, this, is, this is it, that. and we're, we're told this will go on till sort of you know, early February, just in one word, just nine weeks, but that's nine weeks uh, before you know we see the absolute devastation of the job losses and the business losses. We're told there are two routes out of this. One is the vaccine, and there's talk now of basically it being not mandatory, but effectively, if you don't have proof that you've had a vaccine, you won't be able to do anything. We're also told that rapid testing uh, is the route out. Sheffield City Council yesterday basically said to the care home in their area don't use these lateral flow tests because they're not safe enough they miss up to 50 percent of cases um we've got a vaccine that we don't have approved yet we goodness knows when it's going to be rolled out we've got tests that are unreliable either pcr tests which give far too many false positives and uh, or, or rapid flow tests which give far too many um uh, false negatives um, we don't have a route out of this medically right now other than the political decision to end all these crazy restrictions and trust the British people to do sensible things. Yeah, OK, ban mid massive big crowds and wild parties and the like, but to trust the British people that they will take measures to keep themselves, their families, their loved ones, their colleagues, their neighbours, other people in society safe. Why do you think the government doesn't trust the British people? Well, I've said all the way through uh, from the very beginning of the pandemic that uh, the government... It, I don't want the government and the government can't legislate for how people should behave in every circumstance throughout the pandemic. People have got complex lives with complex relationships and people have got to use their common sense to uh, to have how to react and keep themselves safe and prevent the transmission of the virus. All these guidelines are not here to make people's lives a misery. They're supposedly to stop the transmission of the, the virus. People have got to use their common sense to protect themselves and protect the family around them and uh, and their community. And, and that's what's got to happen. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Let's uh, talk about some of the scientific advice which the government should be listening to. I have a funny feeling if they've been listening to people like my next guest, we might be in a different position today. Professor Tim Spector is a lead scientist on the Zoe COVID symptom study app. It's been one of the most accurate apps in terms of a million people telling uh, them their symptoms every day and uh, really tracking just how this virus is spreading. He's also a professor of genetic epidemiology at King's College London and joins us now. Good morning to you, Tim. 
Good morning. Good morning. Julia. Now, I know you don't get involved in the politics of all of this, and quite rightly, uh, as a scientist. However, you have been producing evidence uh, throughout uh, this pandemic, uh, showing the likely prevalence of infections, and uh, and looking at the data on hospitalizations and, of course, deaths, which follow on with a really pretty regular time lag uh, between all those things. Um, the evidence that we were given for going into a lockdown was pretty clearly debunked within hours by people like Professor Carl Hennigan of Oxford University about this four thousand a day. But we've been told the lockdown did work and that tears work and that tears, we need to go back to more tier restrictions. Does the evidence that you're seeing as, as, an ex, as a genuine expert in this field, does that suggest that these restrictions are needed? Um, I think it's complicated and everything is all about timing um, because everything's the government has said might have been true at a different time point. And it's it's just the problem is that by the time they get in the information, they have a decision uh, and then they have this long uh, process of discussion and then uh, all the politics that follows. Uh, the decisions they made often several weeks ago are no longer applicable in this very fast moving area. So that seems to be the major, major problem here is that they're not able to use the latest data to uh, inform <coughs> the latest sort of major uh, countrywide and political decisions. So even, and, even and with the tier in, uh, re restrictions, a lot of the, the decision was made last week, but it was often, it was using data that was already a week out of date, we understand. Exactly. So they're not using the most up-to-date data. Um, they, <clears throat> they're using older data and older models in their projections um, that are a rather, <clears throat> in a rather narrow range of, of these estimates. So they're not taking all the estimates from from different groups that you know have a very focused idea and by the time they get to apply these models the situation has moved on and then what they're now doing is in a way retrospectively justifying their decisions with some other statistics so um you know <clears throat> i think uh, most people are in general agreement that the tier system uh, was working and that <clears throat> they um, didn't hold their nerve enough and weren't using the latest data, which had always showed that before we went into lockdown, a lot of these measures <coughs> had started to bite in, in the north and Liverpool and places like this, <coughs> where the curve had already turned and was on the way down. And um, this was, you know, they'd reached the peak and they were going down. And so the extra measures, um, you know, didn't really, haven't been proven to have made a, a bigger difference than, say, those <clears throat> tier three ones in those badly affected areas uh, because what we're seeing is there's a, a two-week lag roughly from when we see new cases starting to fall and when admissions fall and that's been proven to be true so we're now uh, we we saw over a month ago in uh, in in the north where everything happened in scotland the north things started changing and then that that trend has moved south two weeks later we see admissions around the country falling, and that's what we're seeing pretty much everywhere now. And so the idea that the NHS is, is currently overrun um, really isn't borne out by the current data. If you look at the very latest data, we're seeing 80 to 85% capacity uh, across most trusts, with an exception of a handful. And I do accept there are uh, areas where you know the NHS is under strain, as it is 
in most years and uh, we do need to take that into consideration. And a lot of this isn't it, it's about, about a report, proportionate response, something I've been arguing for for some months but also it's about seeing things in context. So people are saying well we've got these excess deaths, there are people dying this, this isn't this isn't a hoax, this is a real virus, it kills people and we don't want uh, anybody to die of this virus who, who can be saved but in order to save people from dying of this virus, the, the some of the measures that are required may end up, as we know, costing more lives, costing more livelihoods, the economic costs, etc., etc. Et so it's about a proportionate response. Um, but but we, we also in a situation where we do have some excess deaths this year, right now. However, it, it is not; these are not unusual excess deaths. When we look, when we do a comparison, say with a five-year average, um, we have an older population now. We know the baby boomers coming to the age where, sadly, they will be reaching the end of their lives. We are likely to see an increase in in in, in death rates anyway because of that large, big population uh, uh, bulk. But 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 we 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 saw it in year two thousand. Was it forty eight thousand excess deaths from flu? The year um, twenty eighteen, we had excess deaths. We we will we have years where we have more people who die of of, of various viruses every year. Are the deaths that you're seeing right now are they out of the ordinary? Uh, well, it depends how you describe describe ordinary. They're certainly uh, bigger than average, and there's no doubt there is there are excess deaths. Uh, current estimates put it, there are different estimates, but I, I, it looks like at the moment it's around uh, this time of year, around 10% above the five-year average. Um, and But of course, it would have been more if we'd done mm -hmm. as in a normal year and done nothing. Um, so I think the, the measures we've brought in have reduced that. So the, it's always trying to work out what the natural one is and what where we are at the moment because most of the models assume we're going to just do nothing and be like lemmings and jump off which the is, cliff. Which is stupid uh, because we wouldn't do that. Even, even even with just voluntary measures, we wouldn't do that. Correct. When when we start seeing uh, neighbours and friends, you know, ill and going to hospital, then people change naturally their behaviour. And this is why uh, these voluntary restrictions, these sort of tier, tier ones and, and, and tier twos, do actually work pretty effectively. Uh, and it's sort of unclear where, whether some of these more extreme ones have a greater effect um, if, if rates are going up anyway, because people do naturally uh, behave well when they see that they are really in a, in a crisis situation. And I think that's perhaps where I would like to see uh, more trust given to people um, to behave that way. And to do that, we need to give people more information. Um, at the moment, you know, we're not seeing local hospitals overrun in the vast majority of areas, despite what some politicians uh, have said, where, you know, claiming the whole country was uh, uh, about to, to break down. Um, we didn't recognise that in the data, and we still don't. Positions is slowly getting better every day, which is great. Uh, and that does mean people to behave, behave responsibly. But I think what people need is, is local information uh, um, that will allow them to themselves see which tier they should be going into. So I've got no problem with the tier system itself. I just think we need to change the criteria for going in and out of them. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.